As we continue to just interact with the Lord and be ministered to by Him, would you turn to the Word of God? Please turn to 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter. We're in chapter 1. I want to speak to the heart of the matter today. Peter wants to talk to us about our hearts. A couple weeks ago, we began this series and we see that God is using Peter to speak to us on how to be sustained through these perilous times. He's speaking to the diaspora, those who were scattered, those Christians scattered at this early time in church history to all the different nations. And Peter the Apostle is trying to encourage them to hold on. Though they're scattered among the nations, there is one body, one people, one baptism, one faith. He's trying to get them to anchor themselves so that they can withstand any kind of opposition or storm that was coming. Little did he know that Nero was coming to bring a big storm against the church at that time, to kill and to persecute the church. And so Peter's writing them a letter of encouragement. And the word back then is a word that we need today. It's a word you hear quite often, sustainability. Sustainability. How can the church sustain in a world like this? In a post-Christian era when it seems like the church is antiquated and useless and divided and has no purpose anymore. But like then and is today, this church isn't going anywhere. In fact, heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word will endure forever. Amen? So if you get that Word in you, you're being sustained and you'll endure forever. And the church is the pillar of truth in the earth. And it is one thing that will sustain and will outlast all of God's judgments and all of God's uh, performance against the earth. The church will reign. The church will last. Amen? And so Peter is speaking that word of sustainability to the church. We see that if we would look to the word of God, which is settled in heaven and will last forever, it's incorruptible, it will sustain. It will remain. And so he turns his gaze now to the church and he says this, this is what we need to do as a church. What do we need to do to sustain our lives and our purpose in the earth? And so he says this to the church in chapter 1, verse 20. And he says this, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So what is his solution to sustain the church through any troubled time, no matter what comes to whatever nation you live in? His answer, love one another. Love one another. That's what's going to sustain us, people, so that we don't become divided and that the enemy doesn't cripple us and cast us to all the world, but in fact, we would be one body, one faith, one mind, one purpose, a people who love one another. Now, that's not easy. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not easy loving you. I'm just making it real. Just making it real. Now, we could start from the back to the front and turn around, too, but we're not going to go there. It's not easy to love. And when you get a group of people together, it's hard to get people to really, what I, really love each other. Not just accommodate each other. Not put up with each other for an hour. But there's coming a time when we're going to need to sustain each other and to sustain a love between each other. Right? 
And so we need to understand how to do that. So let's go to the chalkboard here. Let's go to what Peter gives us as an equation. Well, I'll go back to that verse. He says, first of all, you need to purify your souls. Because if you're going to love, it's got to come out of a clean heart. It's got to come out of a sound heart, a good heart. And so in order to purify your soul, you need to obey the truth so that you can have a sincere love for God. Once you've done that, now you can begin to love others. And so he makes this equation. Obedience to God's word will purify your heart and create a sincere love for God. That makes sense, doesn't it? If we would obey God's word, that obedience to his word is going to change our heart. It's going to do something in our heart, which is going to cause us to love God more, which will then enable us to love others right if we're going to love others we first got to know how to love god and let that love come in us god's love so we can love others and so in order to have a love for god we've got to have our heart purified in order to have our heart purified we have to obey the word of god that's the process and that's what peter says we need to get this heart to love god And so, to do that, we need to be obedient. Obedience to His Word really is synonymous with loving God. The next verse, verse 23 and 25, he says this, Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable seed, through the abiding Word of God, he says, For all flesh is as grass, and His glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fails. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Get that word in your heart and that's what's eternal. Our hearts are failing us. It will fade. Our best that we can do will fail like the flower. Our beauty will fade. But what will last is what is put in our hearts as the word of God. It's incorruptible. That's what will last. So we need to learn how to obey the word of God. So that we can gain a heart for the Lord before we can love others. Let me share with you a concept. Jesus said this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that's covenant language. We have a problem, you see, in understanding the idea of love. The concept of love. Our concept of love is rooted in our emotional being. So when we say, do you love that person? Do you love this? You immediately go to your emotional sense of being and say, "Ah, yeah, I like them. No, do you love them? Do you love that person? Well, then then you remember a a memory or a thought. You get all warm and fuzzy and you go, I love them, those guys. I love them. But that is not the concept of love that Jesus is talking about. It has nothing to do with an emotional base. It has everything to do with commitment. Covenant language in the ancient Eastern concept of covenant is a love that means obedience. So in the time that Jesus was speaking, when He would speak covenant love, He was speaking of obedience and they knew that. Ergo, he would say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandment. There's the definition of love right there. Obedience. 
when Moses made his covenant of God with Israel, and he said, will you be his people, for he will be your God. And covenant language says this, that if you keep his commandments, you love him. And so, if you do not keep his commandments, you what? Hate him. This is covenant language. This is what's understood in Scripture, understood in Scripture as love and hate. The enemies of God hated God because they did not keep His commandments. You could be a Gentile and come into this covenant of the Old Testament if you what? Obeyed the law. You became, became someone who loved God. And so this is the concept of loving obedience and see that just doesn't work in the 21st century american church because we've built our love on god based on our emotions do you love jesus i love jesus i just sang love songs to him i love you jesus love you jesus i love jesus he makes me feel good he's good but you see that's how we want to relate i love jesus because he's good. Are you fulfilling the will of Christ Jesus in your life? Are you not lying? Are you not stealing? Are you not cheating? Well, I love Jesus. No, you don't. Put your toes out, every one of you. Put your toes out right now. I'm going to step on them. Because if you love Jesus you would obey all His commands. Can I tell you, that is in fact the crux, the definition of the Great Commission. How many of you know the Great Commission? Yeah, go. Well, that's not it. That's just getting you off the seat. Go and what? Preach to all creatures, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Teaching them, right? Make disciples of all nations. Teaching them to what? Here it is. Here's the bottom line. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. There's the definition of love. Obey me. Obey me. Isn't it interesting that in that commission and that command to teach them to obey all that I have commanded, what's the first command of obedience for someone who's given their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ? Be baptized. Isn't it interesting that your very first test of love is a command? Now, you're not saved by works, lest anyone would boast. You're saved by faith in what Christ Jesus did for you. Correct? So we're saved by faith, but the first test of that faith of obedience is to obey the baptismal command. Be ye baptized. So we're going to put a test to your love right away. If you love me, you'll do what I say. I remember this experience that I had in my life. This verse came to life for me when I was dealing with my children. I don't know which of my four children I was talking to. Could have been any one of them. But anyways, I remember saying this. You need to clean your room. And they said, I don't care. You need to clean your room. It's a mess. Clean your room. Didn't matter what they said. It came out like that. 
you really need to clean your room. You made the mess. You clean it up. Uh, uh, I love you, Dad. <laughs> it's like, okay, you little schemer, you know, right? That, that young, and you're, you already know the power of, of conniving. I love you too, clean your room. I really love you, Dad. If you loved me, you'd do what I said. And it was like, I've heard that before. <laughs> and I realized, I think Jesus said that to me. I really began to understand that. Because I used it. <laughs> if you love me, you'll do what I ask. Listen, every part of creation obeys the voice of God. Birds fly because God told them to fly and they fly. Horses run because God made them to run and they run, right? Pigs do what pigs do because God made them <laughs> do what they do. Everything's obedient to God except what creature? Man, to disobey God is to confound the universe. It's to break down the order and the entire system of God to disobey God broke everything because he had established all things to run in perfect order. And we busted that. And so Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. You'll keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments, then you will abide in my what? Love. It makes complete sense that you'll walk hand in hand. Can too Walk together unless they're agreed. Do what I ask because what I ask you to do is correct and right for your life and for the universe. It really is that attached for his purpose and his plans. And so he says, obey my word. And so obeying his word is the thing that begins to change our heart. Because James says the word of God is like a mirror. That when you look into it and look into the perfect law of God, you'll see what's missing or lacking or what's needed and you can call out to God for it. And so, if we keep His Word, then it will purify our hearts. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because God said in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 that the Word of God is as sharp as a two-edged sword. Consider a scalpel, if you will. Two-edged sword will do too, but I don't, you know, we don't relate to that too much. But a two-edged sword is very sharp, razor sharp, and it says it cuts asunder between the joint and the marrow. Now that's an illustration of the high priest, of the, of the priests cutting the sacrifices before God. It exposes us, basically, cutting between the soul and the spirit. The Word of God is that thing that will begin to purify us if we would begin to listen to it and obey it. Again, as Christians, we say we love God but do other things. We say we love God but we continue to cheat. We say we love God but we continue to have sex out of wedlock. We continue to love God and we continue to shoot up or to drink or to self-medicate or do whatever we want but we love him it's time for the church to get back to obeying God and the true meaning of love and in that we'll become purified the church will become pure again when we stop this emotional bent and get back to truly loving him 
I can imagine my wife, honey, I love you. I love you a lot. It's just that I spend a lot more time with others than you. But I feel warm with you. I love you. Here's some flowers. And don't mind that I've spent all our money on things I wanted. There's no difference between what we're doing as a church and what a husband and wife do to each other when they say they love each other, but they're not acting it out. Does that make sense to you? All right. So what he says is this two-edged sword, we must obey the Word of God and it will begin to purify our hearts. Now let's go on. Chapter 2, verse 1. So, or therefore, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. How many of you have tasted and seen the Lord is good? That means you're saved. You've tasted of the salvation of God. Now he says we need to grow up in it. Let's mature. Let's be a mature church. So related to this loving others, Loving the world, we have to obey God, know His Word so that we can love Him and have His Word do surgery in our hearts so that we can then love others. So what do we have to do to love others? We've got to put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Those are all relational terms. Those are terms with you and other people. And guess where all that stuff is harbored in here? So we've got to deal with this thing. So he gives a command to us, and he makes it our responsibility. You, therefore, put off these things. Well, he uses a word that's just like putting off the old man that Paul uses, putting on the new man. It's like casting off an old garment. It's like taking off that which is upon you. That's up to us It's our responsibility to interact with the Word of God so that our heart gets purified. So you do it, church. You do it. Well, I don't have malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, or slander in my heart at all. I'm fine. Can I define your heart for you? Jeremiah 17 verse 9 defines the heart and it says this, the heart is deceitful above all things. All things on on earth. The heart is the most wicked thing. If you could find the most wicked thing on planet earth, it's your heart. Point to your neighbor. No, never mind. And listen to what he says. It is desperately sick. King, King James says wicked. This thing is wicked sick. It's bad. Who can understand the human heart? My heart's not that bad. Yes, it is. It's deceitful. How many of you have ever had an argument with your own heart? How many of you have ever been, how many of you have found yourself trying to trick yourself? That drives me nuts. I have a little argument with yourself. I caught you. I ain't falling for that again. Yes, I did. I did. Deceitful. My heart's deceitful. Because Paul in the New Testament calls it your flesh. Your flesh. It's a stubborn brat. Our flesh wants what it wants, when it wants, doesn't care how it wants to get it. I want it. Gotta have it. 
It's addicted to selfishness. That's flesh. It's wicked and so forth. There is only one remedy. Who can understand the heart? There's only one remedy. The Word of God. So how do we get rid of this stuff? When we examine our hearts, we find this. And so Peter says, I need you to get rid of this. Get rid of all malice. So does that mean some? No, all. Okay, all forms and all kinds of malice. What is malice? Sounds like lettuce. I don't know. Malice. Malice is the desire to hurt someone. It's having an attitude of, I don't care about breaking the law. I don't care about anything else. I just want to hurt you. I'm going to put the hurt on you. Doing things with malice is deliberate. A deliberate and intentional hurt. Whether it's something you said, a note you just happened to leave behind, an action you did that you knew would frustrate someone else. That's with malice. The only thing to stop that is forgiveness. Forgive them so you don't create malice and want to strike back. Because we justify our striking back, don't we? Well, they deserve it. I'm just doing the thing that God would want done. God says, keep your hands off that. Leave it, vengeance, justice, leave it to me. You forgive them. No malice. Now, how am I going to know what's malice in my heart? Go to the Word of God. Jesus put it simply, and this would have stopped many church splits and a lot of church problems. If your neighbor offends you, go to them. And then later Jesus says, if you know your neighbor has aught with you, go to them. He's got you coming and going. (laughs) If it's with you, go to them. If it's with them, go to them. There's the solution. Stop this thing before it begins to divide. Check your heart. There it is, the sword of the Spirit. As you obey the Word of God, you can stop these issues. And so you look into the Word of the Lord, the Word of God begins to purify your heart and says, cut it out. Cut it out. That's what a sword does. It cuts it out. Now, he says also, get rid of all deceit and hypocrisy. They go together, deceit and hypocrisy. They both mean playing the actor. The the idea is saying one thing and doing another. Now, how many of you know the church is, the world will tell you the church is full of what? Hypocrites, right? That's not necessarily so. Why? Because the true definition of a hypocrite, although there are a lot of hypocrites in church, but anyways, the true definition of a hypocrite is someone who says something and knowingly and intentionally does another. That's a lot of people in church. But there's also people in church who do love God, want to follow God, but fail at that. That's not hypocrisy. That's sin. That's a failure. But that's not being hypocritical. Do you understand the difference? It's the intention. So another way to say it, if you said the church is full of hypocrites, I'd say maybe 50%. But there's a good 50%. (laughs) (laughs) hey let let god separate not me (laughs) there's a good portion of them 
that though they believe they've failed, but that failure has broken their heart and they're repentant of it. That's not a hypocrite. So hypocrisy is really playing the game. So is deceit. It's a deceitful thing to say one thing and do another. He says, we need to eradicate that out of your heart. How am I going to get it out of my heart? Obeying the Word of God. Listen, I can't do this on my own. I can't govern myself. All right? This isn't Andy Griffith and Barney Fife where, you know, when you need to go in jail, the key's on the wall. Just go in and let yourself out when you're done. No. We can't fix ourselves. Remember why? Our heart is deceptive. It's desperately wicked. I need a truth, a transcendent truth, that which is outside of me that shows me and convicts me where there is malice, deceit, and hypocrisy in my heart. When that Word reveals it to me, I must do what? Obey. Why? Because I love my God. And because I love Him and I obey this, I now am able to what? Love others. That's what he's getting at. This is Sunday School 101. How about envy? Envy is jealousies. All jealousies. Get rid of all jealousies. I, it's funny, testimony time. Testimony time is an interesting time because people will stand and give a testimony. And I can see the faces on other people. Someone will stand and go, God answered my prayers. It's awesome. I needed this. And I, and I needed $75.32. And in the mail, God sent me a check for $75.32. And someone said, God told me to do this. And it's amazing. And, and some of the people are going, that's awesome. Ah! And all the other people are going like, yeah, you didn't answer my prayer. I got a testimony. Where are you at, God? Why don't you do something for me? People get jealous over other people's blessings. Have you ever seen it? Look to your neighbor and say, I've seen that. I'm just playing with you. It gets you interactive. Jealousies. I'm sure none of you here have ever been jealous of another person or jealous of another issue with somebody. How come he chose him to be the lead of that ministry and not me? How come he asked him to do that? How come I'm stuck doing this? Right? Jealousy. What's the remedy? Word of God, it will direct to you. How many of you ever read the Word of God and it told you exactly what your issue was? Oh. <laughs> Obey the Word, then you'll be able to love another. Right? You're praying for spouses right now, I can tell. Slander. Slander. Evil speaking. Gossip. This is the big one when you're dealing with people. Listen, there's nothing wrong with having opinions. Nothing wrong with having opinions. You have an opinion of me. I understand that. I don't need everybody to love me. You have opinions of me. This guy's this or he's that. He talks too long or he's this or that or this. Fine, you have an opinion. You can have opinions of other people, right? I don't think they did that right. That's fine to have an opinion. But when you cross the line and say, I don't think they did that right because they're such an idiot. Uh, we've moved into character issues now. You can say, I don't think they did it right, but it worked for them. God bless them. That's great. I think I would have tried it like this. Maybe you talk to them about it, whatever. But when you say, that guy, that preacher up there, I don't like him because I think he's ugly, I think he's stupid, and I don't like the way he talks. Now you've moved into the realm of slander. So we can have opinions of things. 
How many of you found out that you can't get along with everybody? How many have opinions of other people? And look at you all scared. I don't know if I should answer that. (laughs) The thing is, when it crosses into what? A heart issue of slander, gossip, and cutting the character down. That's when we're moving into a maligning that comes out of the heart. Now, how are we ever going to sustain this church for another 25, 50 years? How are we going to sustain our work and our efforts to this community if we don't get along? Now, all you visitors that are here hearing this sermon, you're probably thinking, what's wrong with this church? These people are a mess. This guy's telling them, we're actually quite well. Things are good. Wonderful. I'm happy. I'm the pastor. I like this place, okay? But I'm speaking the Word of God so that we will maintain that. The church needs to come together more than ever. The church is so divided and so split up. And isn't it interesting, the one thing that's dividing the church is the Word of God. Paul, in fact, says in the book of Corinthians, there must be disputes among you so that we can discern what is right. The disputing over the Word of God. The answer is the Word of God. And so, brothers and sisters, it's the Word of God that will take care of that. And so how do I get my heart right so that I can get rid of malice and envy and greed and jealousy and gossip? How can I do this so that I can love others? I must crave the Word of God and obey the Word of God. So Peter says, crave it like a newborn baby craves that milk. You must crave the milk of God's Word. It's what purifies your heart and enables you to love other people. So the answer is crave and obey, for there's no other way. Crave and obey the Word of God. Amen? You with me? So folks, begin to crave the Word of God. And what's going to happen is He's going to start doing surgery on you. And so then, if you really do love Him, as you're nurturing that love for God, you must obey Him. You must obey and then make right so that you can love other people. Does that make sense to you? That's what Peter's telling the church. That's what will sustain the body of Christ to be a powerful force. Because Jesus said there's going to be one witness to this world that will identify my people. They will know that you're my disciples by how you what? Love one another. The only way we're ever going to love one another is if we crave and obey this word. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for teaching us what will sustain your people in this day and in this hour, how we will love and adore you. Father God, use this church mightily. Help us to love each other with great strength and purpose. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. As the musicians are coming, Before we sing one last song to the glory of God, I want to challenge you this morning. James said that pure religion 